Lesson 7 for May 9-15 to Jesus, the Holy Spirit and Prayer Sabbath afternoon, May 9 Before we start, let's pray Our Heavenly Father, this week we're studying about the Godhead but we're also studying about prayer and as we do so we come to you and ask for your guidance and we want to thank you for what you have done for us and for the world in general that Jesus' sacrifice can be available to all. Help us as we study your word this week to grasp some of the wonder of that and also to commit our lives to you. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Let's read that again, Luke 11, verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Of the three synoptic Gospels, Luke speaks more often than do the others about Jesus' relationship to the Holy Spirit. While Matthew refers to the Spirit twelve times and Mark does so six times, Luke has seventeen references in his Gospel and fifty-seven in the book of Acts. From the conception of Jesus into humanity as described in Luke one thirty-five to the directive establishing his global mission in Luke 24, verses 44 to 49, Luke sees an operational link between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The link is basic to understanding the ministry of our Saviour. Likewise, Luke shows the importance of prayer in Jesus' life and mission. Fully divine, equal with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus, in his humanity, left us an example in regard to prayer. If Jesus saw the need for prayer, how much more must we need it? And a quote from Steps to Christ, my favourite little book, page 95. Without unceasing prayer and diligent watching, we are in danger of growing careless and of deviating from the right path. The adversary seeks continually to obstruct the way to the mercy seat that we may not, by earnest supplication and faith, obtain grace and power to resist temptation. Sunday, May 10, Jesus and the Holy Spirit As a Gentile convert and a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul, Luke viewed the entire Christological entrance into history, from Jesus' incarnation to his ascension and to the spread of the Church, as a divine wonder, brought about and guided by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' life, we see the whole Godhead at work in our redemption. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. 
and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And, through his constant references to the Holy Spirit, Luke emphasizes this point. Question. What do the following texts tell us about the role of the Holy Spirit in Christ's coming here in human flesh? First of all, Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' mission began with several references to the Holy Spirit. According to Luke, John the Baptist predicted that although he baptized with water, the one who would follow would baptize with the Spirit. As we read in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. At Jesus' baptism, both the Father and the Holy Spirit affirmed the authenticity of his redemptive mission. God the Father declared from above that Christ is his beloved Son sent to redeem mankind, while the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. From then on, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, as it said in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and ready to take on the foe in the desert, as well as to begin his ministry. The opening words of his Nazareth sermon were an application of Isaiah's messianic prophecy to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit was his constant companion, his affirming strength, and his abiding presence among his followers, when Jesus would no longer be in their midst. John 16 verses 5 to 7 tells us that. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Not only that, Jesus promised that God would give the gift of the Spirit to those who asked for it in Luke 11.13. 
The spirit that ever linked Christ to his Father and the redemptive mission is the same spirit that would strengthen the disciples in their journey of faith. Hence, the crucial importance of the spirit in Christian life. Indeed, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the gravest of all sins, as Luke says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 10. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. So to finish today, what are concrete, practical ways we can open ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit? That is, how can we be careful that our choices are not in any way hardening us to his voice? Monday, May 11, The Prayer Life of Jesus Among the many times that Jesus prayed, some are recorded only in Luke. Note the following incidents that show Jesus in prayer during great moments in his life. First of all, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened. A comment from page 111 from the Desire of Ages. A new and important era was opening before him. He was now upon a wider stage, entering on the conflict of his life. And, end of quote, he dared not begin that wider stage of his public ministry, which would take him eventually to Calvary's cross, without prayer. Two, Jesus prayed before selecting his twelve disciples. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. No leader chooses his followers haphazardly. But Jesus was not just selecting followers, but choosing those who would understand and identify completely with his person and his mission. As we read in page 291 of Desire of Ages, the office was the most important to which human beings had ever been called, and was second only to that of Christ himself. 3. Jesus prayed for his disciples. Luke 9.18 reads, And it happened, as he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? Discipleship demands absolute commitment to Jesus and an understanding of his identity. In order that the twelve might know who he was, Jesus was alone praying. And then, after that, he challenged them with the crucial question, who do you say that I am? In verse 20. 4. Jesus prayed before his transfiguration. And we read that in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. Now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. 
Jesus prayed before his transfiguration and obtained for himself heaven's second endorsement that he is God's beloved Son. Trials thus far and trials to come could not change the closest affinity between the Father and the Son. The prayer also resulted in the disciples becoming eyewitnesses to his majesty, as is recorded in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. And 5. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. We read about that in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. This is perhaps the most important prayer in the history of salvation. Here we have the Saviour linking heaven and earth, and by so doing, he establishes three crucial principles. The primacy of God's will and purpose, the commitment to fulfil that primacy, even at the risk of blood and death, and the strength to overcome every temptation along the way toward fulfilling God's purpose. And six, Jesus prayed, committing his life into God's hands. We read that in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. In his final words on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus gives us the ultimate purpose of prayer. At birth or at death, before enemies or friends, while asleep or awake, prayer must keep us in permanent linkage with God. And so to finish today, what do these examples from Jesus' prayer life tell you about your own prayer life? Tuesday, May 12, The Model Prayer, Part 1 Question. Read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. How do these verses help us to understand how prayer works? Beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, 
for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father is Christ's favourite way of describing God, and is so recorded at least 170 times in the four Gospels. In addressing God as our Father, we acknowledge that God is a person capable of the most intimate relationship with humans. God is as personal, as real, as loving, and as caring as a human father. But He is the Father in heaven. He is different from our earthly Father, for He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and perfectly holy. The phrase, Father in heaven, forever reminds us that God is holy and personal, and that Christianity is neither a mere philosophic idea, nor a pantheistic notion of a God who is everything. Hallowed be your name, in verse 2, here we have another reminder of the holiness and the sacredness of God. Those who claim to follow the Lord must sanctify His name in word and deed. To claim to follow Him and yet to sin against Him is to defile that name. The words of Jesus in Matthew seven twenty one to 23 can help us better to understand what it means to hallow God's name. Your kingdom come, in verse 2. The Gospels refer to the kingdom of God more than 100 times, nearly 40 in Luke, nearly 50 in Matthew, 16 in Mark, and 3 in John. It is what Jesus came to reveal and establish, both in the present reality of the kingdom of grace and in the future promise of the kingdom of glory. Without entering the first kingdom, there would be no entry into the second, and it is the Saviour's wish that his disciples should experience the first in anticipation of the second. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Once again from verse 2. The will of God is recognized and obeyed in heaven. Jesus takes that fact and converts it into a hope that such will be the case on earth as well. On earth suggests not generality, but particularity. Let the will of God be done on earth, but let it begin with us, with each one of us personally. And so to finish today, do you know the Lord or just about Him? In what ways can your prayer life draw you closer to Him? Wednesday, May 13, The Model Prayer, Part 2 Give us day by day our daily bread. That's from verse 3. The petition begins with the word give. Whether the word comes from the lips of a millionaire or an orphan in perpetual want, the prayer is at once an expression of dependence and acknowledgement of trust. We are all dependent on God, and the imperative plea, give, forces us to recognize that God is the source of all gifts. He is the Creator. In Him we live, move, and have our being. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. Psalm 100 verse 3. Question. 
God is the Father who gives us all that we need. In light of this promise, what grand assurance can you find in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13? So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children— how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Forgive us our sins, verse 4. The prayer to forgive as we also forgive emphasizes the fact that if we truly have accepted God's forgiveness into our hearts, we will be ready and willing to forgive others also. Logically, it also follows that if we do not forgive others then we have not really accepted God's forgiveness. Matthew 6.14 That actually reads like this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. From the Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 114, Ellen White writes, God's forgiveness is not merely a judicial act by which he sets us free from condemnation. It is not only forgiveness for sin, but reclaiming from sin. It is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms the heart. End of quote. Therefore, as disciples of Christ, we have the joy of living within the widening circle of divine grace, receiving God's benevolence on the one hand, as well as extending his love and forgiveness to others who may have offended us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. That's again in verse 4. Two facts need to be noted. First, temptation is not sin. The Greek word for temptation is pierasimos. Greek nouns that end in asimos normally describe a process, not a product. The scriptures do not look at temptation as a finished product. It is a method, a process used to achieve a particular product. Although temptation is not sin, yielding to it is. Second, God is not the author of temptation. James chapter 1 and verse 13 reads, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God may allow temptations to come, but he never tempts us in the sense of alluring one to sin. The prayer, therefore, is recognition that God is the source of ultimate strength to resist the evil one. And to finish today, review Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Think about all the issues it covers. In what ways can your experience with each of these issues be enriched and deepened through prayer? Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, 
For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thursday, May 14, more lessons on prayer. Immediately after giving his disciples a model prayer, Jesus taught them through the parable of a friend at midnight, beginning at verse 5 in Luke chapter 11. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he would not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Then, as he neared the end of his ministry, he reminded his followers of the need for penitence and humility in prayer. And we read about that in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Both of these parables show that prayer is not just a religious routine, but also a persistent walking, talking, and living with the Father. We've just read in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 8, where Jesus told his parable to encourage perseverance in prayer. Prayer should not become a routine. Instead, prayer should be the foundation of a relationship of absolute, persistent and continual reliance on God. Prayer is the breath of the soul. Without it, we are spiritually dead. Jesus tells the parable of a neighbour who refuses to be neighbourly. The continuous pleas of his friend for a loaf of bread to meet a midnight emergency go in vain. But finally, even such a neighbour gives up and yields to the persistence of the continuous midnight knocks. How much more responsive would God be towards someone persistent in prayer? 
Such persistence is not to change God's mind, but to strengthen our trust. Question. Read Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14 again. What's the crucial lesson here about prayer? Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee expected God to endorse him on the basis of what he had done, his works of righteousness. The publican threw himself at God's mercy and pleaded for acceptance on the basis of God's grace. God's acceptance comes to us not on the basis of who or what we are, but through his grace alone. Only those who are penitent, humble and broken in spirit can receive that grace. From Prophets and Kings is this two-sentence piece in page 590. Meekness and lowliness are the conditions of success and victory. A crown of glory awaits those who bow at the foot of the cross. So to finish the day. People who have not known the Lord tend to compare themselves to those who are supposedly worse than they are, all in order to convince themselves that they are not so bad. Why is that such a spiritual deception? What does it matter if others are worse than we are? Friday, May 15. From the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 85. The soul that turns to God for its help, its support, its power, by daily earnest prayer, will have noble aspirations, clear perceptions of truth and duty, lofty purposes of action, and a continual hungering and thirsting after righteousness. By maintaining a connection with God, we shall be enabled to diffuse to others, through our association with them, the light, the peace, the serenity that rule in our hearts. The strength acquired in prayer to God, united with persevering effort in training the mind in thoughtfulness and caretaking, prepares one for daily duties and keeps the spirit in peace under all circumstances. And from page 105... In calling God our Father, we recognize all his children as our brethren. We are all a part of the great web of humanity, all members of one family. In our petitions, we are to include our neighbors as well as ourselves. No one prays aright who seeks a blessing for himself alone. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, 
Luke's linking of Jesus and the Holy Spirit does not end with his gospel alone. No one can read the book of Acts, Luke's second volume for the history of the Christian church, without noting the compelling dynamic of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian community, its missions, and its ministers. Indeed, only Luke records Jesus' post-resurrection instruction to his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they are, as it says in Luke 24.49, endued with power from on high, before they could go to the ends of the earth with the message of the crucified and risen Saviour. Luke then begins the book of Acts with Jesus repeating the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 verses 7 and 8, and the promise being fulfilled at Pentecost, the whole of the chapter 2 of Acts. What does all this tell us about the central role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Church? And two, in what ways is the very act of prayer itself an acknowledgement of our dependence on and need of God? Read Luke 18, verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. What deep spiritual problem was Jesus addressing with the parable that followed? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled The Banner Man, and it's by Song Sungsub from South Korea. Wherever Song Sungsub goes, people follow, sometimes with stairs, sometimes with their feet, but that's okay because he has a message to share. I wanted people to see the truth, so my strategy was to come up with a way for them to immediately see the heart of the three angels' messages, the Sabbath. Songsub designed a customized backpack advertising banner proclaiming in huge letters that the Sabbath day equals Saturday equals the seventh day. The banner included more details surrounding the main message. Songsub wears his backpack banner as he rides his bicycle to and from work each day. He also takes it for a walk in the park and has been happily surprised with the response. When people see the banner, they are curious, and they read it with loud voices. There are always people around, and they talk about it. The Sabbath is an important message, a testing truth. There are many ways to spread this message, but this is my strategy, Song Sub says. In thinking about his unique form of evangelizing, Song Sub had two biblical examples in mind. Jonah, who was sent to walk around a large city proclaiming the need for repentance— and the children of Israel, who were a silent witness as they marched around Jericho. The idea, he said, is that in this way I will be able to proclaim the Sabbath truth effectively and conveniently. He is delighted that many people are interested in the message he carries. One day I took the subway and someone followed me. Finally the man said, I know this is truth. Is there a church that keeps the Sabbath day? Another time, Sung Sub was walking through a park when he was approached by a couple. You must be from the Seventh-day Adventist church, they said. We haven't attended church in a long time. Where is the church? We've been looking for one. 
Sometimes people ask me, how can I carry this banner around, Sung Sub admits. My heart isn't brave enough, and I need to behave well because I'm carrying this important message. My mind should be peaceful, so I pray a lot. Then I feel at peace and am filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And the idea is catching on. Recently, an elder in Sung Sub's church asked for a copy of the banner's design. I feel very happy, says Sung Sub. I am seeking lost sheep. My strategy is just one glance, and it's forever recorded in their minds. And whenever people ask, I share some literature with them. Who knows what the results will be? Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.